It's no longer about what you know, it's how quickly you can learn it. My name is Merrill Dubro, CEO of Mark Research. I'm a 35-year veteran of the research and insights community and the host of our podcast, On The Mark. On The Mark is focusing on executives and thought leaders in the world, sharing their insights, strategies, personal experiences, and is unscripted and unrehearsed. I promise this podcast will be filled with tough, pointed questions with real, insightful, and emotional answers. Today's guest is Pat Mascar, Managing Director and Partner of the Sterling Rice Group. Pat, welcome to the On The Mark podcast. That's quite the introduction, Meryl. Thank you. I am uh, happy to be here. Well, we're happy to have you. So, Pat, for the listeners, why don't you just start and level set a little bit. Give us a little background in your illustrious uh, insights career. I have been in the industry for close to 25, 30 years, Meryl, and um, I would say that um, I have strength and insights and experience in marketing and strategy. Worked with a combination of large CPG companies, as well as been on what I'd call the supplier side. So it's a mix of um, consulting to drive business and drive growth with companies like Sabre Travel and Technology, uh, for 10 years, I've worked with the JCPenney company. I have uh, worked with PepsiCo, Frito-Lay for, for 12 years. And uh, I am now with a consulting firm, a creative agency out of Boulder, and have been with them three years, as you mentioned, as the uh, insights and strategy lead for their business practice and as a, a partner. That's great. That's that's definitely exciting. And, you know, you're one of those rare folks that, that has worked both on the supplier and the client side. Can you talk a little bit about that? I'd be, I'd be curious, does that make you a better researcher working on both ends? You know, I actually believe it does. And I, I think I actually heard this in one of your prior interviews. I, I, finding someone who's been on both sides um, gives you, I think, the, the deep technical knowledge that's needed in insights the ability to work across uh, and think through the breadth of research design, knowing what's going on in data processing, thinking through, you know, how to lay out the data to answer the business questions. So, um, and you just get such a breadth of uh, expertise and experience. Um, I started with a small firm in in Dallas called Savitz and uh, I went over as an account executive, shaking in my boots because I didn't really know insights that well. Um, worked under uh, Mike Kassab and he brought me along and trained me. Um, and I just went from like zero to 60 in, in a couple of years and, and felt like it was such a strong foundation to then go back to the client side. That's that's interesting. So did you, when you were a little girl, when you were seven, eight years old, maybe playing in a sandbox or playing with dolls, did you say, hey, mommy, mommy, I want to be a researcher? Like, how did you get in this crazy industry? Oh, I fell into it. Totally. Um I, you know, you've heard my personal story before. I, I was on my own when I was 17. Yep. And I graduated uh, high school when I was 16. It was one of those early ones. And uh, it skipped my senior year. So, you know, quickly I had to figure out what am I going to do to get by. And um, the story is I, I actually started as an administrative assistant and I started at Free LA. Um, and within two, two months, my job was gone. And they asked me to be an analyst. And from there... Um, I went into an assistant account management um, on the brand side, right? Assistant brand manager. Loved the work, but really you need a degree to be an ADM at a 
at Frito-Lay. So I, I made the choice and went back and got my education. So I got exposed to marketing before I got exposed to insights. And I, I just loved the intellectual challenge with insights, the, the creativity, the, the desire to learn more about what makes, makes us, us tick as people, the psychology behind it. Um, so no, not, you know, a seven year old, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I fell into the industry, but I definitely found my passion. So build a list because you've worked on some of the biggest brands in the world. Let's, let's give me, give me the top five brands that you've worked on. I know you've worked on Doritos, right? Yep. So Lay's is even bigger. Okay. I was the, the brand lead for Lay's, um, and the inside side. And I worked on, uh, Ruffles. I worked wow, I on love Ruffles. Uh, Yep. Lace Kettle Cook. So the whole potato chip portfolio. I also have worked on um, brands like Doritos and Tostitos, uh, also on Pepsi and um, a lot of the beverage brands. Yeah, those would be a few. The innovation uh, on some of those brands are as big as some of the new brands launched in businesses. They're they're big, big companies. It, it is. I mean, yeah, I mean... Uh... I remember Ruffles have ridges and my kids still eat a lot of these. And truth be told, I, I, I love Doritos. So. <laughs> um, like most people, like most Americans, I guess. Um, were there some insights, some aha moments, some surprises like you uncovered through research and through insights with you and your team that really catapulted, Pat, one of these brands and added, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue for the company? Just something you can share? And I'm trying to think through because um, most of my career, besides on the brand side, was in innovation. Yep. And we certainly won a few awards. The Cantina was one in terms of breakthrough innovation for um, Nielsen, I guess. Um, but I would say, you know, the, the things that I learned that, that might have catapulted the business is just how important it is to stay relevant with some of these brands. Lay's is, uh, has been around a long time, and they talk about the brand as the potato chip category. Um, but it's been, you know, it was losing share and it was important to really get to what makes it relevant and how to keep it relevant with, uh, with consumers today, young consumers in particular, because the category has exploded as a repertoire category. You kind of, you go into the chip aisle and you, you pick your favorite that day. It's not like carbonated soft drinks where you drink the same one over and over again. Right. Um, so it depends a little bit on the mood. So trying to stay relevant with these brands that were somewhat cannibalistic with each other was really important. And tapping into what makes uh, Lay's so special uh, was was a key insight. And there's all uh, it's fascinating because it's a very light eating product. Um, there's like a huge up and down curve to the emotions associated with consuming Lay's. Um, so we worked very hard to get to those insights. And it, it was really about regrounding and bringing you back to what you love. And and then that went into the innovation and that went into various uh, advertising campaigns that that basically drove the business forward. Wow, that's interesting. So that what you see about the smile on the packaging may seem in hindsight very simplistic, but it's about the love of the product and the insights associated with it. Um, and how grounded it is in consumers' lives. So, That's great. No, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, Pat, let me ask you, what do you think it takes to be a great researcher? Because I know that a lot of the listeners are from the MSMR programs that are going to be graduating in the next few years. But what, what are some of the 
the real key takeaways that it, you have to have to be a great, great researcher like yourself? Well, besides the technical knowledge and the, the willingness to adapt because the world is changing so much, I think being um, a strong business consultant, asking the right questions is critically important, as well as being able to tell a compelling story. Yep. We get bogged down in data uh, frequently and, and being able to slice through that to say, so what, what does this mean to your business and doing it in a way that's engaging is incredibly important um, and something that that takes time, but there's also kind of a natural aptitude to it, toward it. So it it takes a what's who said this, but it takes a long time to write a short letter. Was that George Washington? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, that's how I feel about report writing. It takes a lot more time to think through what are the the five to six things I need to communicate out of this thirty minute survey. Yeah, no, that that's interesting. Those are a few things in my mind, and I think graphically bringing the story to life in this day and age is hugely important. So the role of infographics, thinking about um, how to communicate something that's really complex quickly in an, in an engaging way, you cannot underestimate that. Strong writing skills, like all, it's almost the things that a reporter has at their, their fingertips are what you need to bring to the insights side of it. That's great. And, and, but they have to also have marketing and understand social media and be able to talk to brands and interact because, you know, even at SRG right now, your clients where, you know, 10, 15 years ago when you were at Savitz or, or somewhere else were, you know, they were director of market research, market research analyst. Now it's director of marketing, the CMO, the brand manager. So it is marketing and understanding how to talk uh, marketing speak for, for, for lack of a better word, um, come into play. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, understanding how brands are relevant in consumers' lives, the psychology of it is really important. And understanding the culture within your organization is super important, right? How do you move a decision forward? So the political savvy is, is also critically important depending on the organization you're in. The way that, that people are interacting and brands are interacting with consumers in terms of social media, it is, it's light speed. Like you, the ability to keep up with that and, and adapt to that and, and kind of be curious about it is hugely important in our industry. So I, I would say curiosity is probably one of the biggest drivers um, and the, and the ability to quickly learn. Right. So it, it's not, and it's, it's no longer about what you know, it's how quickly you can learn it. So TikTok is a new social media. What is it about it? Right. What are brands doing to, to communicate that way? Um, it's, you know, anything like that in terms of any kind of new technology methodologies, just learning it really quickly and adapting is, is really critical, especially in this COVID world. Yeah, so let's let's follow up on the COVID world. We all know that consumers are changing how they buy, where they buy, when they buy. Um, and a lot of, I think, clients and brands have really done a nice job interacting with their consumers. But what do you think, um, in your opinion, Pat, what does the future client look like for SRG? You know, how, what do you think is going to change? It's a great question. And we've spent a lot of time talking about it. We're very fortunate. We're focused on food and beverage. And, and we're an agency. If you'll let me digress just a minute, I will answer the question. Please, absolutely. 
half a creative agency and half of a consulting firm. And that consulting firm really focuses on innovation, brand, and, and positioning. And the other half is kind of a creative agency, right? So actually buying media, creating um, the ads and um, communication. And, and it's, a, it's an interesting stretch because it allows us to get involved in engagements from the very beginning and see it all the way through. So as an example of trying to adapt to this new world, I think our clients are going to be looking for quicker, faster, more comprehensive solutions. They want things that are going to be more entrepreneurial. So we're actually looking at something called abstract invention. And instead of following a linear process, like you typically would for, let's say, innovation and a positioning study, where you kind of go get insights, you brainstorm, you come up with ideas, right? You test those ideas, you build them together. This, this concept is that you're doing it continuously and you're doing them in parallel path. So you're bringing the best practices together across the organization to work on, on the positioning to work on the innovation, to work on the packaging. All of that is happening consecutively to move to a much quicker output. And I, I believe that that is going to be one of the key things that our clients are looking for, as well as what does this new world look like? Do we know what the insights are? How are consumers going to behave? What's really going to stick and what's not? in terms of the behaviors that we're seeing. I mean, you already know, and, and I'm sure you're quite aware of this, like a lot of big companies are gonna keep their workforce at home, right? It takes 30 days to kind of come up with a, a habit and a behavior. And it's we've been into this for a while now, right? <laughs> going on uh, nine weeks. So, so those behaviors are set. Consumers are looking back and, and kind of saying, wow, I kind of like some of this being at home. There's some things I don't like, but I've got better work-life balance. I'm getting closer to my family. The values that kind of got sidetracked when we were both working and we had kids are, are coming, you know, are things that I'm, I'm embracing. And we've heard this from the consumers we've talked to. So I think we're going to see a mind shift. The company is going to shift. The relationship you're going to have with brands are going to change. Um, there's quite a bit that's going to shift. So being nimble and entrepreneurial, I think, is key. Yeah. And, and I love the way you frame that in terms of being closer to your family, traveling less. Um, I think the travel industry, it is going to take years with an S till they are back to the levels that they once have and maybe not ever. I also think the cruise industry has humongous issues coming up. Um, and I also, I'm also working different. Now I used to get to the to the office at a, about little after 6 a.m. every morning and leave to see my kids at probably 4.15-ish. Now I start my day typically about 5 a.m. I may try to go for a walk or try to kind of clear my head in the middle of the day for an hour where I never kind of did that before. Some days I don't even eat. You know, I'm, I'm having, I find clients, Pat, much more open to having discussions right now. And I also find them much more available. Do you find the same? And, and how have you, how has your day changed with COVID-19? You know, it's a great question. I, I'm, I'm right there with you, Meryl. I, uh, I traveled a lot. I would say 60 to 70% of my time I was on the road. And, and you, you know, if you've done this and, and anybody listening that when you travel that much, it, it just wears on you, it wears on your body. You, you get tired. You can't work on the planes anymore unless you're in first class. So your productivity absolutely declined. Thank God we have smartphones. Um, 
But what, what I think has changed a lot is we've talked about this in our own company. We were actually more connected than we were before. So yeah, I miss the office and the energy that we had there. But amazingly, with, with all the tools that we have in place, we're seeing each other and we're having daily conversations multiple times a day. And I have the ability, if I choose, to turn my camera on and, and see their expression and really interact with them. Um, our clients are actually embracing this. They are easier to reach. Um, I'm finding I'm more productive during the day. I can get a good 10, 12-hour day in and still take breaks and still have energy at the end of the day versus the travel. It, it, we were very fortunate, to be quite honest. And, and you've been down this path already at Mark, but we, we had started to embrace virtual and digital tools and in a big way just before COVID happened. Yeah. So we have the ability to actually, um, and I'm so proud of the organization for being able to do this, but, you know, there's a lot of work sessions that you have to host in, in the world of ideation and uh, positioning. Um, and there's a lot of co-create that happens with your clients. So if you can imagine a day and a half workshop that we used to have in Wonderful Boulder, we are now doing that virtually and we're doing it successfully. So um, that I feel like is a huge accomplishment and, and we're adapting tools and you'll love this. We're working with one company called Remesh where, where it's QualiQuant and they have AI that's kind of doing the searches for us and giving a beautiful dashboard. Our clients are loving this stuff. And so we're, we're basically replacing those traditional in-person focus groups that were expensive, hugely time consuming. And yeah, it's great to be with the consumer in person, but, but there are other ways to do this work. Yeah, no, Remesh is a, is a phenomenal company. You know, it's interesting on what you said, Pat, because COVID-19 has forced all of us to do business differently and have amazing, somewhat surprising results. But if somebody had come up with an idea of, hey, hey, Pat, let's have this idea session, ideation session on a, on a Zoom call six months ago, I think half the people, if not half the people, if not all the people in the room would have said, no, we can't do it. It's never been done. We're not going to get the, the result that we need. Yet you just said, you know, we're having so much success on doing it different. And I think the businesses will be much more profitable at the end and much more successful. I couldn't agree more, Meryl. And, you know, as a um, most of the of Boulder of their employee base was in Boulder. And there are probably six or eight executives and um, many of them like shareholders or, or department leads who, who were not, including the CEO. It, it's, it was hard to join a call that's a leadership call and you're on the call, but you can't see anybody. So all of a sudden we're all on equal footing, our clients, our, our colleagues, and we're all dealing with this. And I, I like literally everybody at the company knows my cat's name, which is Pepsi, by the way, because she gives me a daily visit. on. That is hysterical. You know, you can never work for Coke then. <laughs> wow, Pat. <laughs> Well, you know, some of that blue blood is still in my veins, so I would never. I know. No, well, it's a great company. It's a great company. That is funny. Pepsi. How old is Pepsi? Pepsi is almost 14, and my kids named her. Um, When we picked her up, she was just a little thing, a kitten that some guys had saved out of a Walmart tree. We got her off of Craigslist, and um, she was so full of energy that they named her Pepsi. I always thought because of her energy. I don't don't know. Maybe it was because of the company I worked for. I'm not sure. (laughs) Wow. 
That's interesting. So, so I'm going to ask you two questions. I'll ask you the first one, which is a hard one and then a fun one. Okay. And I apologize, but as you know, I pride myself that this is unrehearsed and unscripted. So I need you to close your eyes. I need you to think about when you were on the client side, whether you were at Sabre, whether it's your Pepsi, it doesn't matter. And don't even mention names, but I have to believe that at some point of your career, you had to fire a vendor when you were on the client side. You know, can you talk a little bit about what what happened to do that um, and how that situation went down? Because there are important takeaways for, for a lot of the listeners. It's when a mistake has been made and there is no recovery and there is no willingness to correct it. Because I, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty fair and pragmatic. And I feel there are so many places where things can go wrong, whether it's in data collection or design or how the data is reported back out. Um, I almost expect problems. It's, it's the lack of willingness to recover from it that's super frustrating to me. So there was one vendor I worked with that was on an international project not too long ago. I won't mention their names. It was doing bulletin boards. And, and it was in a lot of different countries. And it was, it's a big client. Um, the data comes back and they allow the people in market to determine which of these ideas were, were the best ideas. And while I, I really appreciated that because I wanted the interpretation of the quality portion of this, the quant portion was ignored and I could get that piece. I had to fight like heck to get it in there because they only allow so many questions. Um, and then I couldn't get the reporting done the way I needed it. Eventually, I just gave up, took the data tables and did it myself. That's a client or a company I will never work with again. First of all, the decision yeah. to just ignore the, the quant data and just go with what an analyst who represents you in that market feels like is the best idea is in itself flawed. That's why it's quality quant. <laughs> so anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, that's it's a good story. That really is. All right, we're going to end with this, Pat. I mean, you know, when 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 you look at your career, when many – folks look at your career. I mean, it is impressive. I mean, the brands that you've worked with, you've had leadership positions. I mean, you are without a question, a, an insight guru legend. What do you, is there something that stands out that you're most proud of in your business career? Yeah, I would have to say it was probably, um, and I love what I do at SRG, so don't get me wrong, but it was probably my last two years at PepsiCo. Because in that role, it was a strategy role, and it was working across 25 different countries. And we took on bringing consulting in-house, something we had historically partnered with a BCG on. So we were spending millions to do this work externally. And I got to go into every market. I was in Russia. I was in Turkey, India, Egypt, several Asia countries, Latin America, Africa. It was it was such a fascinating experience for me personally to understand those cultures and the challenges the PepsiCo teams were trying to overcome in those businesses. But I got to work with a slew of talent in every country to try to say, okay, how do we look at this massive portfolio and where do we drive growth? And and I got to build three teams, two in Dallas, one in London, and it was by far probably a highlight of my career. Oh, I love that. It wasn't easy, but oh my gosh, what a great, great experience. Never give it up. That's fantastic. It really is. I appreciate you sharing that story and everything else today. I can't thank you enough, Pat. 
Thanks again for listening to Pat Mascar. This is the On The Mark podcast. My name is Meryl Dubrow, and you have a great day. Thanks, Meryl.